I wasn't always old. Um, some days I feel as if I was always old. Um, today I've been to the gym and therefore I feel uh, at least 70. Um, but, uh, but I can remember the 1980s and 90s. And I can remember when I was, if not young and fashionable, certainly in the business of pretending that I was. And I used to occasionally go to the Glasgow Film Theatre. If you're uh, a university student and you move in those uh, those circles, one of the few things you can do uh, in order to try and appear uh, sensitive and thoughtful and metropolitan, as opposed to a knuckle-dragging, um, Findus crispy panky eating lout from a council estate, um, is go to the Glasgow Film Theatre. So that's why I did it. And uh, I used to quite enjoy Ken Loach films. The uh, the grand old man of the left, Ken Loach, um, does not get general release. You're not going to go to the Odeon and see a Ken Loach film. I suppose I, Daniel Blake, maybe it was, I don't know, but uh, but typically Ken Loach films have got a limited release and a limited audience. The, uh, the sort of, some people's critics would say agitprop and others would say gritty social realism. But anyway, Ken Loach is a, is a grand old man of the left and uh, he's in The Guardian because he's been expelled from the Labour Party and uh, he's not happy about it. Loach, um, whatever else you can say about him, is at least consistent. Um, so, I remember watching Riff Raff, and I think I'm right in saying Robert Carlyle had a major role uh, as one of the workers in the building site. And being on the centre-right, I can remember my irritation when um, he had pinched a big heavy piece of, of equipment from work and was selling it in a pub. And I remember thinking, I, I am, I, from memory, I think I'd been to uh, a Glasgow City of Culture thing uh, not long before that. And uh, I'd watched a play called The Ship, I think. And it was all about um, workers in the shipyards and their banter and talk. But it was largely, uh, the setting was the skiving. In other words, they weren't working and therefore they were uh, having a great old time uh, doing other things when they should have been working. And being in the centre right um, and knowing a certain number of people who had privileged positions in the 1970s, based on the kind of labour aristocracy and the bloody awful laziness and, uh, and economic inefficiency and bad services for ordinary folk that that resulted in. The way that, for example, local authorities had been taken over by the broad labour movement, thereby facilitating uh, a kind of Tammany Hall socialism. Uh, uh, treat the public with complete contempt, but you've got 800 people voting for you in the local, local elections, all employed by the council, so you're probably going to win anyway. Um, I was watching Riff Raff with Robert Carlyle selling this and seething because from my centre-right position, I thought this is exactly why working people can't have jobs because people who could give them jobs won't start businesses because they're not prepared to be treated like this. Friedrich Hayek in one of his books says that um, the uh, we'd, we'd, we'd made it, it might have been, I think it was in law legislation and liberty, might have been in the constitution of liberty, but he says we'd made it the case um, by the mid-20th mid century that to command a thousand people was an honourable occupation, but to give a job to a thousand was to be a, a bourgeois exploiter and uh, and worse than vermin. So, um, so as I say, Loach is a man of the left and he produces these um, films, which have all got the same running theme. Um, the, uh, the, the, the West is a terrible place for ordinary people and it's made terrible by those who are ill-intentioned and it could be fixed uh, by those who are well-intentioned. And there's no technical difficulty and no great truth about human nature that makes life difficult. Um, it's not the case that uh, present social arrangements represent some basic truths about uh, the human condition. It's simply the case that those who've got an interest in keeping the, the, the poor and the dispossessed down, keep them down. And they've got friends all over the place, including um, in the labour movement, some of whom are just stupid and others are deliberately unintentioned that actually... Um, um, running dogs, lackeys of the capitalist class. Um, coming from my background and being on the centre-right means that I'm a perfect example of what they talk about. Somebody who's got contempt for his own class and is prepared to say things that suit the uh, the bosses in order to advance himself. That's the kind of utter piffle that they choose to believe. The reality of this course of the situation is that um, if you're a humanities, social science type person, and you've got one, very few employers, and most of them are in the public sector, and that's where the higher wages are, then any attempt to be even-handed when it comes to uh, considering ideological claims 
is massively to your disadvantage and it has been for you know at least 70 years if you want to get on in modern britain uh, and you're not uh, straightforwardly a chemical engineer working in the private sector then the way to do it is to um, pander to the beliefs that loach represents and uh, the universities for example have been full of people who uh, would be at the gft with me but instead of being irritated watching robert Carlyle sell a, uh, an angle grinder in a pub uh, they'd be cheering um, some because they're genuinely stupid and others because they've actually internalized the behaviors that have seen them do so well with their uh, their bad degree and their uh, incoherent beliefs so loach is a man of the left and he's been expelled from the labor party and he's not happy about it and uh, it's fair to say that some of the things he says are if not absurd certainly odd he was expelled for supporting a group that had said they shouldn't be the labor party shouldn't be engaging in summary expulsions uh, and that's that's quite an interesting um thing to be expelled for if you make if you make a if you make an objection to a process never mind the substantive matter as to whether the person should have been expelled or not but you're just making a process point a bit like a a person who is uh, in favor of hanging but thinks that evidence should be allowed to be led in court um, you're not making a point about the guilt or innocence of a particular person or the, the appropriate punishment if you make the point that the evidence should be heard, it should be led. It's a process point. But Loach got himself expelled for making a process point for uh, supporting a group that said so many expulsions um, are not really appropriate in the Labour movement. And uh, the context of this article is uh, the Labour conference. Labour's a funny party. Labour never pretended to be what the Liberals and the Tories said they were. You can argue whether they pretended or not, but... The Liberals and the Tories always claimed, and the Whigs before them, they always claimed that they were in favour of the general good, but the disagreement was between honourable people who, who, you know, had different views as how to, how to promote the common good. So um, honourable members disagree about means but not ends. The Labour movement, the Labour Representation Committee, was always a movement for working people, for unionised labour. Uh, the Labour Representation Committee was established to get trade unionists elected. So Labour was always a, a bottom-up party. The other parties started in the Parliament and then spread into the country. Labour started in the country and then spread into the Parliament. So Labour was always a much more democratic party than the others, much more uh, a party of uh, protocol and procedure and rule books and resolutions and so on. And uh, the, uh, the conference is happening as I make this broadcast. Starmer's big speech, I think, is tomorrow. I think I'm right in saying, and it's been a it's been a car crash. It's been a, a bin fire so far. Uh, most obviously, Angela Rayner, um, referring to the Conservatives as scum, and then of course, and, uh, Emily Thornberry tried to defend it by saying that she was drunk. Essentially, you know, the, the reason why Rayner, Rayner said this was because she she'd had a few, which is not exactly the most uh, encouraging defence. Um, and particularly because it plays into the kind of general perception that Angela Rayner uh, might have a range of, of behaviours and attitudes that, um, that you, you wouldn't expect to open a door and find her um, reading, um, you know, Hobbsbaum. So the uh, so the, the, the defence of Rayner was almost as bad as her initial behaviour. And that was before, I think, Rachel Reeve, I think, from, I think I'm right, I saw um, being unable to say whether she thought... Um, women had cervixes and, and and it wouldn't have mattered if she, whatever she'd said if she just said something but the the noise that she made for a full 40 seconds um was almost unwatchable um i think i think she she, she panicked after the first 20 seconds and realized what she was doing and then couldn't find a way out of it so um so the labor conference has been a bin fire and uh, the conference is the governing body of the labor party the Labour National Executive Committee labor as i say has got a funny structure and if you if you're not a, a politics student you wouldn't automatically arrive at uh, an understanding because you look at the Tory party and you think that the Tory party's leader probably got a fair amount of power, and they have. You look at the Labour party and you assume it's a party of the parliament, but in actual fact, constitutionally, Labour's much more a party of the members and the wider movement. So um, so Labour's conference is the governing body of the Labour party, and then you see is the governing body between elections. It certainly used to be, I think it still is. I've not read a Labour rule book for a while. But uh, so the Labour conference is, is, is happening now and Starmer, probably stupidly, decided that he was going to use that to do something that he hadn't, um, he hadn't flown a kite beforehand, he hadn't telegraphed it. He wanted to change the system of leadership election back to uh, a college that gave the MPs much more say than the members in the wider movement. Uh, Labour had 
uh, I, I think it was 30, 30, 40 from memory. I think 30 the, the MPs, 30 for um, the uh, trade unionists and 40 for the ordinary members, I think was the, the waiting in the Electoral College. Don't quote me in that. If you're sitting an exam, check. Um, but they had an Electoral College and it meant that um, the MPs could basically stymie somebody's leadership ambitions. If you couldn't get enough support from the MPs, you couldn't get elected. Miliband changed that and uh, the result was Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn would never have been in the ballot if Labour uh, MPs hadn't put him in the ballot for the daft reason of giving the left a choice because nobody thought for one minute he could win. But then, of course, they'd forgotten that all the momentum activists, uh, Landsman, I think his name is, John Landsman's uh, movement, uh, had got all these kids in, all these, I think, three-pound members <clears throat> in the Labour Party with voting rights. So that was just suicide. So the the... The conference was going to be used by Starmer as a device to get uh, something approaching the old system back, and he failed. But he got something. It's the case now that you need 20% of the support of Labour MPs to go forward to the membership, and that should exclude people like Corbyn in the future. But that, coupled with the earlier expulsions and that move by Starmer, um, has produced a reaction in the left. The reason why Angela Rayner is on manoeuvres and is saying things that appeal to the rock-solid base. Marina Hyde, Hyde in, the, in The Guardian this morning was talking about um, how stupid it was for Rayner to appeal to the base because the base will vote for you anyway. Yeah, but remember, she's appealing to the base not because she's trying to um, maximise Labour's general election support. She's appealing to the base because she thinks Starmer might be on his way out and it will be the base that decides whether she's the next Labour leader or not. So the, um, the, the Labour conference, as I say, is descending into uh, acrimony, if not farce. And uh, people like uh, Loach think that Labour is losing its essential democracy. Um, the Labour Party is becoming, uh, again, this centrally controlled Peter Mandelson. And Mandelson was at the conference. Mandelson's been moving around at the conference, glad-handing people. So Loach thinks that Labour is becoming, um, again, a party of the centre. Constituency associations have been suspended and people have been forced into office in the constituency associations as left-wingers have been forced out by the centre because the, the, the party can say, um, we don't accept you as, as an association. If you want to remain a Labour association and nominate Labour candidates for election and use the Labour uh, label, you'll have to accept our authority. And we don't accept these office holders and we don't accept uh, these candidates that you're, you're selecting. So they're starting to try and impose themselves on the associations, impose candidates, uh, impose office holders and dictate what the, uh, the associations can debate and what the conference can debate. Um, so, for example, it's illegitimate to debate Corbyn's suspension. Um, now, again, that's a very, very odd thing to do. Um, and it's, uh, it's perilously close to a Catch-22 situation. You know, the, um, the famously Joseph Heller in Catch-22 the, he describes uh, an absurd situation. It's an invention, but it's a comic invention uh, designed to make a point. He, he describes the pilots, uh, the American Air Force pilots. They can't escape uh, flying if they're sane. If you're sane, you have to fly. If you're insane, you can't fly. But asking not to fly is a mark of sanity. Um, and therefore, if you ask not to fly, you have to fly because you're very obviously sane. And as Yozarian, I think it says, uh, it's quite a catch, that catch-22, you know. Um, you, can't, you can't get off flying duties if you ask to get off, <laughs> because that indicates sanity. Um, and uh, the, the business of not being able to um, even talk about the suspension of Corbyn, he's never, he's never been let back in, but, uh, but I don't think he's got the Labour whip. I don't think Starmer's advanced the Labour whip to him, but he's back in the party, uh, I think I'm right in saying. And uh, if you even talk, if you have a motion for debate about the suspension of Corbyn, that's out of order. Uh, supposedly because it would make a meeting uh, an unwelcome environment for Jewish members. But that rather begs the question, doesn't it? Because if he's been readmitted to the party because he's, his sins have not been seen to be too bad, then a debate about the process of his exclusion or the circumstances surrounding it is hardly in itself aoipso, as the lawyers would say, in and of itself uh, anti-Semitic or, or uh, making an environment unwelcome for Jewish members, you would think. But anyway, the, um, that, that's the, the rule. These motions for debate are illegitimate immediately and therefore um, would, would attract censure from the central party. Um, you can't criticise, says Loach, I don't know if this is true, but he says you can't criticise the decision to ban criticism of the leader, Starmer. 
And again, that's, that's you know, an odd, odd catch-22. Because in, or, in order to justify the, the decision to prevent criticism in the first place, you have to make an argument in favour of it. So do, do you think it's a good idea, members, comrades, comrades, do you think it's a good idea <clears throat> that we ban for the moment criticism of the leader? Because it will only be used by our enemies to suggest the party is unfit for government. So you have a debate and a discussion and you agree. Okay, now it stands to reason, therefore, that whatever, whatever considerations you had about process and wise judgment that caused you to use debate in the first place to ban criticism have to be themselves open to debate and you have to be prepared to revisit that in order to work out whether the justification is still sound. So it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense to have a, a process that allows you to reach the conclusion that you should ban criticism of the leader without having a process that allows you to discuss whether such a ban should continue. Uh, it's, it's, it's incoherent, um, but that doesn't seem to have stopped them from doing it. So um, people, says Loach, are, are leaving the party. He thinks they've, uh, they've shed 150,000 members. And the media is silent on this because the media favours the centre. They're hostile to Corbyn and McDonald, they're hostile to Loach, they're hostile to Momentum, they're hostile to the left, they're hostile to the trade unions. Um, and therefore, uh, the, uh, the, the cultural genocide, if you like, of the, of the Labour Party that Loach thinks is going on, the expulsion of the left, um, and all that, uh, that Starmer accepted for the purpose of election. Because this is what Loach... Loach is irritated by the fact that Starmer promised to be a unifier. He promised to actually keep the party together and therefore recognise that in, in 2017, Corbyn got 40%. He couldn't win the marginal constituencies, but he got 40%. That has to tell you something about the appetite in the country and in the Labour Party for that kind of red meat, uh, left-leaning policy. Uh, so he, he was elected on radicalism and common ownership and building the party um, and keeping it together. But he was actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. So he was always intending to stick the knife into people like uh, Corbyn and those that supported him. Uh, and therefore, not only is he uh, a Blairite, but he's the worst kind of Blairite. I mean, because Blair tolerated Jeremy Corbyn. Um, Blair, the famous quote, we can afford to tolerate a Jeremy. Because uh, Corbyn kept voting against the Labour whip. And the, the, the question was, should we kick him out of the party? And uh, Blair, with his massive majority, said, ah, you know, we, we can afford to tolerate a, a Jeremy. He probably thought that in actual fact, not only would it keep the left quiet by having their champion, but it would make him look to be a bigger man by not excluding Corbyn. So it made, it made it look as if he was sufficiently secure in his own position to be able to tolerate a Corbyn. So Starmer's worse than a Blairite, or worse than Blair, because Starmer actually thinks Loach um, said things that he knew to be untrue and, and misrepresented his future intentions for the purpose of getting rid um, of uh, the left. And... Uh, the, uh, the, the people in the media that uh, don't report what Starmer's doing to the party always wanted rid of uh, the Corbyn and McDonnell because they always wanted an end to the radicalism that was seeming to get a, a purchase, get grip. Um, the, uh, the crisis over COVID itself has demonstrated that there was a certain amount of truth. You, you, would, you would argue, if you're on the Labour left, you would argue, there was a certain amount of truth what, I mean, what McDonnell and others said before the 2017 election when it came to spending big because if Rishi Sunak can borrow 400 billion at effectively 0% in order to go through the COVID crisis, it's probably the case that Corbyn McDonald could have borrowed 500 billion over 10 years, which is by comparison peanuts, you know. 500 billion over 10 years is nothing compared to 400 billion in a year. Um, so it's probably the case that they could have borrowed big um, as long as the markets had been reassured um, about the, the, the growth that the infrastructure spending would produce. And, you know, even if it didn't produce dividends in the sense of, you know, future um, traffic through the, the airports or or, uh, or the roads or, or whatever, it would certainly produce a short-term boost in terms of the number of people getting put back to work and the amount of spending that would create and the increase in tax revenues and, uh, that that would cause. So at the very least, there would have been some sort of Keynesian multiplier effect from all that spending. And uh, the, uh, the, the pitch that Labour made in 2017 was popular enough to frighten the horses and frighten the... Uh, the, the centre, the right, and the people who support them in the media. And that was why they had to get rid of Corbyn, thinks Loach. Now, the thing that's going to stop Loach getting readmitted to the Labour Party is the next thing that he says, which is that anti-Semitism was used deliberately and instrumentally as a stick to beat Corbyn. Um, so the, the anti-Semitism um, 
uh, engulfed the, the, the row over anti-Semitism that produced the uh, ECHR's uh, uh, Equality Human Rights Commission, EHRC report. First party ever, I think, apart from the BNP maybe, but the first party I think to be censured uh, by the commission. Um, and, uh, and Loach actually dares to say that the whole thing was in part, at least, and maybe in large part, a confection whipped up by uh, the people who opposed the Corbyn in order to get rid of him. And uh, he notes that uh, Jewish Voice for Labour have made a submission recently uh, in the last few weeks to the HRC complaining that they are now being persecuted by Starmer's Labour. Presumably not because they're Jewish and it's an anti-Semitic attack, but because they're left-leaning, much more left-leaning than Starmer is. But, uh, but Loach says that the irony of it, uh, Jewish Voice for Labour are now making complaints about Starmer's Labour Party and the way they're being treated. Um, and it's because there's a witch hunt against uh, anybody to the left of Gordon Brown, if you like. Any, anybody who's uh, in any way um, representative of a different Labour tradition, anybody who could be recognised as being kind of, you know, um, Roy Jenkins. Th thinking back 30 or 40 years, um, most Labour people up until 1983 um, are to the left of where Blair was. Blair, of course, in, in his first election, I think, Beaconsfield in 1983, I think, um, stood in that platform of leaving the European Union and unilateral nuclear disarmament. Uh, the party had another um, 11 years of losing after Blair, uh, before before Blair appeared as leader and moved the party to the centre. So the, um, the party is, is moving against people who would once have been absolutely mainstream um, and... Uh, Arguably that's happening, thinks Loach, because uh, the establishment is desperate to have a Labour Party that would be safe to be in government should the Johnson government fall apart. So the right enjoys having uh, two reassuring parties, uh, two parties that will do nothing radical. Um, and uh, Starmer offers that. Starmer offers a second Conservative Party, uh, a, a sort of... Um, a, I try, I try to think of what the key difference would be, and, and I suppose um, leaning um, slightly more left on culture would be, the, would be the difference. In terms of economic policy, Johnson's got no appetite whatsoever for austerity, uh, and uh, the Labour Party has got no appetite for revisiting Brexit. So really the big distinction between the parties has been the, the car crash in, in, at conference for the last few days on culture. Uh, and, uh, you know, trans women are women uh, being the litmus test for anybody that wants to be in with the in crowd. So what's what's to be done? And Loach thinks that the broad labour movement, the unions, the anti-austerity campaigners, the anti-racism campaigners, most obviously environmentalists, that broad movement on the left is still huge, both in the Labour Party and outside it. And uh, they have to unite and reclaim the Labour Party. He doesn't say that in express terms, but that's what he means when he says we can't establish a new party. Um, it's too difficult in a... a, a two-party, single-member um, constituencies. The, the, people don't understand the so-called first-past-the-post system. It's more accurately the single-member, simple-priority system. So you've got one member elected from a constituency and all they need is a, is a simple plurality. In other words, more votes than any other single candidate. And that kind of system, with candidate control of candidate selection, with, with party control, rather, of candidate selection, um, you're in big trouble if you try and establish a third party. Um, the... Uh, in the United States, all that Nader does, Nader and the Green Party simply result in Al Gore losing the election. And that's all that happens if you establish a, a party on the left of the Democrats. You elect George W. Bush and the Republicans on the right because you, you strip votes away. If Gore could have won Tennessee, he'd have won the election in 2000. And there were enough Nader voters who guaranteed that uh, the Democrats lost. So you, you can't establish a new party. You have to use the broad Labour movement to reclaim the Labour Party. And uh, that should not be so difficult because there's such tremendous strength, thinks Loach, in the broad labour movement. There's plenty of enthusiasm among young people. There's plenty of ability among uh, academics and, uh, and others. Uh, the, the modern monetary theory that everybody derided a few years ago, including me, uh, looks suspiciously close to the truth from a left-leaning labour point of view, given what's happened during covid and the uh, massive, I think now 860 billion, I think, balance sheet that the uh, the Bank of England has got. So the unions are key. It's the unions that um, pay for the Labour Party. The Labour Party is now running, I think, a legal bill of two million pound a year 
from all these various uh, court cases that they haven't having to fight. So it's the unions that finance the party that are key. I noticed one is actually, um, this, was it the Bakers this morning? have given up their association with the Labour Party after a hundred and something years. So the, the unions are the key people in the Labour movement. They fund, um, they, they provide the big battalions. It's individual union members who are affiliated that provide the voting power. Um, it's the unions who uh, the members get um, letters from the union with preferred candidates included in the ballot paper. And most union members will probably follow the, the recommendation of leadership. So the unions are key. Um, and. Uh, Loach concludes with uh, affirming what was, of course, famously um, taken out of Labour's mission. Uh, when you look back now, actually, it's funny, when you look back sort of 25 years or more and, and you think about what uh, Blair and Brown did to the Labour Party with uh, their new Clause 4. Now, Loach affirms the old Clause 4 uh, to secure for the workers by hand and by brain the full fruits of their uh, labour. And uh, <laughs> looking back... At the time, it didn't seem so mad. But looking back, uh, the, the the getting John Prescott, now Lord Prescott, I think, uh, getting John Prescott um, to, if you, just as an aside, find it online and look at a picture of Prescott boxing when he was a younger man in the Navy. <laughs> in the, he was, he was, I think he was in the Merchant Navy. And then he was a steward on a cruise ship. But uh, if you look at him when he was in his early 20s, you can tell exactly why he punched that guy that threw an egg at him in his 50s. Uh, he was quite a formidable looking geezer. But they got, they got Prescott to um, persuade a Labour conference to adopt the new Clause 4. And I, I, looking back now, it didn't strike me so much at the time, but looking back now, I remember thinking, uh, look, looking back now, I, I think um, it's actually undignified to force Labour. If you'd, if you'd simply persuaded the conference to repeal Clause 4, that would have been better than what they did, which was to get the conference to sub substitute Clause 4 for a new Clause 4, which is now forgotten. I, I'm not even sure if it's still part of the, the, the Constitution and the membership cards, but it's this completely anodyne mince about joy and happiness and motherhood and apple pie and all, all these things that nobody could possibly object to. And... Uh, you know, Loach um, favours the old uh, red and tooth and claw socialism. It's sort of essentially this communist um, declaration of, of um, absolute ownership of plant machinery by the state. But uh, but yeah, the, um, the, 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 the new clause four that Blair crafted and got John Prescott to persuade the left, the Labour Party, to accept um, is just nonsense. Um, the, the, the clause four that Loach supports is full of content. Content, I think, would be a calamity. Um, the uh, the new clause four is just an insult. And uh, it would be interesting to see whether anything like that could be forced through the, the present Labour Party. Because what happened in 1997, uh, and from 94 to 97, was that Labour was so sickened of losing uh, and the Tory party was such a disaster. It was obvious all they had to do was unite and they could win. Johnson is not that much of a disaster, or if he is, it's not having an effect on the polls. Uh, and uh, and Labour's not yet quite as sickened as it has been because they were in government uh, 11 years ago. So you uh, you wonder whether the uh, the attempt by a Starmerite uh, and a new a new version Blair 2.0, you wonder whether the attempt, uh, which of course Loach thinks is ongoing, to drag the party back to the centre. Is going to be possible um, if the Tories don't look easily beatable. Because the thing that made 94 and 97 so easy for Blair, because the people forget the hard lifting was done by Kinnock, uh, but the thing that made 94 and 97 easy was precisely because it looked very much as if all they had to do was look plausible and they would win. I'll never forget hearing my high earning pal, a mate of mine, very high earner, um, said that he was thinking of voting <laughs> voting Labour. <laughs> I, remember, I remember at the time being shaken and thinking, going to lose. Uh, but uh, anyway, so Ken Loach um, has been kicked out of the Labour Party. I wonder if he'll make a movie about it. I was a Tory party candidate uh, briefly in, uh, in 2020. 2019, 2020. Um, I was going to be a candidate in the, um, sorry, 20, 2021, sorry, 2021. I was going to be a candidate in the uh, horrid elections in 2021. And uh, I uh, I said some things that you may have well have heard about uh, Marcus Rashford not actually running the country. 
and uh, there'd been little evidence that uh, people using food banks were actually in the point of starvation, as some would like to believe. Um, or that, uh, I, I didn't actually say what the papers reported, I said that um, the uh, the average person, not specifically people using food banks, but the average person has no idea how fat they are. And I use the word fat deliberately because I don't mean overweight, I mean fat. Plenty of people are not overweight, but they're very fat. Um, I'll say something that the Daily Record will love. Um, they can use it in the next election campaign. There's actually a, a concept uh, called the Thin Fat Indian. Um, a couple of Indian doctors pointed out that the incredible levels of uh, insulin resistance and diabetes in the Indian population um, are it's really, really hard to explain because these people have got body mass indexes that are well below the 25 that you would think would be even modest, modestly overweight. Um, people are managing to have uh, insulin resistance and uh, and diabetes, full-blown diabetes, despite the fact that they're not in any way overweight. And it's because they're fat um, and because they've got other metabolic problems as well. But you've got a situation where people carry a lot of fat um, and very little mu muscle mass and a lot of fat internal to their body cavity. And that's what's causing this uh, massive insulin resistance problem. So I said that in uh, uh, the podcast that I did a few years ago and it uh, was used by the uh, the parties well many people used it but it was used as a stick to beat the Tory party and uh, I wasn't actually thrown out of the party uh, I quit because it was the it was the final straw in terms of not being able to say and do what I wanted to do I just wasn't prepared uh, to put up with it I said to uh, the chair of the candidates board I said look this is, this is, I'm just going to quit because there's things I need to say and I can't say them as a candidate. And he said quite accurately, yeah, I know there are people there are people who are interested in politics that I know, friends of mine, and they can't be a member of a political party because they just can't accept what parties are about. And I'll tell you exactly what parties are about. Parties are about having, as one friend of mine who's still a candidate said, they don't actually want candidates who've got anything in terms of ability. It's not relevant. Uh, they want you to wear a suit and a nice tie and say nothing and just be there because the only person that matters is the leader. So you've got no role in a party um, other than to support the leader and speak to the manifesto and seem credible and vote. Um, you're, you're, you're there to be lobby fodder. Um, and this, as I say, uh, depresses me beyond all endurance, but it explains exactly what's going on with the Labour Party right now. Because the Labour Party is full of people who can't accept what Tories do accept. Tory candidates and Tory voters and Tory members accept the world as it is and they don't have any incentive to change it because they don't care enough about um, politics. They're, they're, the, they're the not the Labour Party. Um, the, the Tory party exists in order to prevent the Labour Party governing um, and uh, to do that, that small C Conservative project doesn't require a big C Conservative party that has any understanding of anything. Margaret Thatcher's Tory party was nearly unique because it was the party of Hayek and Keith Joseph and other people with ideas. Um, sometimes you can argue bad ideas that Oliver Lett went in the poll tax, but it was a party of ideas. The Tory party is not generally a party of ideas. The, the Tory party is the party of not the Labour Party, because the Labour Party has got ideas about Keynesianism and modern monetary theory and the white heat of the technological revolution and changing society. And the Tory party is there to just basically oppose. Now, if you're Labour, you've automatically got a problem when it comes to trying to keep the party together. Because when you're trying to change things, there are debates to be had about how to change. So, so there are means and methods debates to be had. There are no means and methods debates to be had if all you want to do is exclude the Labour Party from government and just basically muddle through, which is arguably what the Tory party is all about. I mean, what does levelling up mean? Has anybody cashed it out? No, because nobody really cares. Um, so people don't understand what political parties are. And uh, they think, for example, that the Democrats and the Republicans in America are something like the Labour Party and the Tories here. But what people forget is that in the United States, they have primary elections. <clears throat> Donald Trump won the primaries. If you want to be the candidate of the Democratic Party anywhere, you have to be the person that's picked in the primary election if it's contested. Ross Perot established his, I think, Reform Party, um, he gave it the name, but as soon as you establish a party, it becomes a quasi-public institution in America and you lose control of it. You have to run primary elections for candidate selection. So you ended up in a situation where the Reform Party was uh, two Reform Parties, both of them claiming to be legitimate, each of them having a conference on a different side of the same road in the same small town. 
So in the United States, the party doesn't have any control over candidate selection and you've got a separation of powers between the legislative and the executive. So the American Congress has got no relationship with uh, Joe Biden and the executive. These are separate parts of the administration. You cannot be a member of the Congress and be a member of the executive. In the United Kingdom, you have to be a member of the Congress. You have to be a member of the legislative, the parliament, in order to be a member of the executive. So we've got a situation where we don't have a separately elected executive and we don't have the ordinary people um, deciding who the candidates are. There's party control of candidate selection. In that context, a party is nothing more than a plausible team that sings from the same hymn sheet uh, to try and get the public to vote for a slate of policies. And this doctrine of the manifesto becomes everything. The party is there to present a manifesto and they all, almost all the MPs who are not going to be picked to run a department are there to vote in favour of the manifesto. So what you've essentially got are £85,000 ombudsman. Their two jobs are to deal with your complaints when you think you've been mistreated by some government agency and to vote reliably for the party. And it's a completely and utterly pointless exercise. And it, it means we've got bad politics. It means we've got a parliament stuff full of people who have got no incentive to try and criticise their own party's behaviour. Um, and uh, I've got every incentive to try and brown nose and get promoted. Now, this, that, everything I've said thus far has been more true of the Tories um, than Labour. Labour has got far more people in it who are prepared to lose if it means they can stay um, on the right side of the argument as they see it. Glorious defeat is a possible situation. It takes something like Brexit before Tories start to do that. It really has to be something as big as that before you'll start getting, or, or thinking right now, actually off the top of my head, Steve Baker and a few others, and Ian Duncan Smith, on the COVID regulations. It has to be something like that before the Tory party starts to do what Labour habitually does. Um, so the fight that's going on in the, in the, in the Labour party right now um, is, is one that they've had many times. Um, and it happens if they're not completely and utterly sickened enough as they were in 1994 to stop it. As soon as they're anything other than completely sickened, they revert back to it. And it's precisely because they're looking to change the world. And when you're looking to change the world, there are arguments to be had about how to change it and what's possible. And uh, when you're looking to simply keep the world the way it is and maintain and as preserve an aspect, the existing system uh, and the distribution of power and wealth that it uh, allows, well, that's all you're trying to do. It's much easier to stay together. So the political parties in the UK um, are a disaster when it comes to producing people who are capable of independent thought and sufficiently principled, such as to not be able to tolerate um, saying something they think is untrue or failing to say something they think is true. If you're basically, um, yeah, well, to, 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 to put the case for the defence, William Hague um, was a good loyal conservative and he described himself as a party animal, a great believer in the party, a great believer that things can be achieved through a party that can't be achieved otherwise. And therefore, Haig would have, his, have, have a manifesto and he would speak passionately to it, despite the fact it probably contained loads of things that he wouldn't have chosen uh, were it his you know, simple choice. Um, he can be a minister and speak passionately for government policy that he's opposed in cabinet. So you oppose it in cabinet, you lose the argument, and then you speak passionately in favour. So you, you can take the William Haig view, which is we're not going to achieve anything um, in this system unless we uh, train ourselves to be convincing liars, if you like, or at the very least convincing actors. So you can, you can take that view. The trouble is that view is predicating the idea that we can't have anything better, that it's impossible to change the electoral system, that it's impossible to change the system of candidate selection, that it would be a bad thing to have a different system of candidate selection and a different uh, uh, system of election. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the Tory assumptions um, that you should just relax and accept the world as it is rather than how it uh, ought to be and, and could be. The, the trouble I have when it comes to that is that I think the world, and the, the, it would be the easiest thing in the world to change the electoral system. We could have done it in 2011. If we had done it in 2011, we probably wouldn't be in the position we're in with the United Kingdom possibly breaking up. The alternative vote system that nobody understood but everybody voted against would have changed everything. So the political parties are a mess. Um, and to be brutally honest, the attitude of Labour um, politicians and activists is nearer a healthy attitude than the Tory attitude, because the Tory attitude is completely and utterly cynical. 
Um, and the, 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 the belief that the world can't be better than it is and that our politics can't be better than it is is, is dangerously close to being a self-fulfilling prophecy because um, the, uh, the, the, they alienate uh, so many people who could be conservative activists uh, and they take away from the, the conservative party so many people who might be more thoughtful than the norm and you end up in a situation where uh, the, the Tory party is uh, uh, continually uh, annoying and embarrassing uh, the voters to a degree that they start to reconsider Jeremy Corbyn's attractiveness. You know, think think about Theresa May and her complete inability to do what I'm doing right now, which is to talk about something she believes in without a script, hesitation, deviation or repetition. Theresa May couldn't campaign. She couldn't stand on a doorstep and talk about what she believed in because it wasn't obvious she believed in anything. I think she'd been a councillor before she was an MP. I think she was a long-standing good constituency MP. She liked helping people with their problems. The trouble is that... The, that's not, that's not an obvious qualification for being able to actually articulate a vision of how a political system could you know, make best use of what the civil society contains and make things better insofar as politics ever can. So, so the Labour Party, as I say, um, is doing what it often does, which is to rip itself apart. But it, uh, it represents, uh, in a lot of ways, a healthier attitude to politics than what the Tory party um, has. Because... The, John Stuart Mill in the 19th century described the, the, the Tory party as the stupidest party because, um, as, he, as he acidly said, the Tory party um, wants to uh, suggest that water mills uh, are not made but grow. Um, in other words, um, what, what, what Mill said was that the fundamental resource of, of politics is the, is the virtue of the people. And therefore, the greatest thing that a political system can do is to maximise the virtues of the people and then harness them for the public good. And because the Tories say that uh, much invention is impossible and much invention is bad, therefore all invention is impossible and all invention is bad. And so that's what, how Mill would characterise the, the Tory attitude. And you end up in this absurd situation where uh, a Conservative is someone who says that government can achieve nothing and then gets elected and proves it. So the, um, the, Tory, the Tory party, as I say, finds it easy um, to sleep um, because it's not trying to achieve anything. But as Edmund Burke said, um, a country without the means of change is, is without the means of its own preservation. And uh, the, the, the conservative project of keeping the ship of state on an even keel demands some understanding of navigation and seamanship. And it's not obvious that we've got that right now. In some ways, Labour's tragedy is that Blair demanded a bigger majority than he needed. If you think back to 1997 and then 2001, they got an incredible majority of, it was 175, I think, in uh, 1997. And then it fell 10 uh, to uh, 165, I think. 166, I think, was the speaker. But anyway, it fell um, in 2001. But that disguised the, the tremendous fall in turnout. The uh, turnout fell from 71% to 59%. And when people were questioned, they said that voting makes no difference. So what happened was there was a collapse in the, uh, the Labour hardcore vote. But because the constituencies were ones that they won easily, the number of MPs returned didn't change much. Now, there was absolutely no reason for Labour to be so centrist in 97-2001. The economy was booming. It was going at the shows. Uh, we'd come out of the uh, ERM debacle with a weaker currency and exports were up and things were looking really good. And Ken Clark, as I've said before, had no intention of keeping to his own budget. Gordon Brown could easily have ran further to the left and kept Scotland happy. Um, and arguably the country is just a bit to the left of where Blair was, uh, but not so very much. So they could, have, they could have become like the Japanese Liberal Democratic Party if they just had the sense to not try and preserve all those seats, not win as big as they did in 97, um, and you know be slightly more threatening to the, the most privileged parts. Um, Peter Manderson said, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm intensely relaxed about people becoming filthy rich. I think he added, as long as they pay their taxes. But remarks like that um, are not designed to uh, to win over um, the, uh, the the tough working class constituencies in Wales, North England and Scotland. So if Blair had had the sense to win with Boris Johnson's 80-seat majority on a more left-leaning manifesto, the SNP would have been snuffed out. Uh, Scotland would have remained passionately pro-Labour. Uh, and uh, you wouldn't have had the first the triumph of the small parties in 2003, nor the SNP forming a government in 2007. So it's, from a point of view of a unionist like me, it's pretty heartbreaking that uh, 
that Labour insisted in doing what it did in 1997, which was uh, pitching absolutely for uh, the, the middle, uh, even even the centre-right vote, actually. Uh, and, and relying on the fact that ordinary folk would be so disgusted by the Tories, they wouldn't pay close attention to the manifesto. It would take four years for ordinary folk to realise that Labour was just the same as the Tories, as uh, as people came to say. So the so the Labour Party um, burnt through all its capital under Blair and Brown. Uh, as any number of people have pointed out, the, the rotten Labour is much longer standing than people realise. It wasn't just 2015. Uh, it certainly wasn't just 2010. Labour vote in Scotland went up in 2010. Um, what happened was that um, Blair uh, decided that his own um, vanity uh, was more important than a 15-year view of how the party could become the natural party of government. And by, by winning as they did and throwing away all the hardcore vote, um, they left the party um, unelectable. Because uh, the, uh, if you're, if you're going to pretend to be the Tory party, then when you get Gordon Brown and a, a financial calamity, people will say, well, if, if we're going to have the Tory party anyway, we might, we might as well have a Tory party. We might as well have one that hasn't proven itself to be economically incompetent and unable to regulate the banks. So, uh, so the Labour Party could be the natural party of government because all it has to do is uh, is recognise where the, the bulk of the people are, and the bulk of the people are a little bit to the left of, of Blair, and if if they'd made that pitch and lost some of these uh, Tory constituencies, Tories were down to one five eight I think, one five seven something like that in in nineteen ninety seven, if the if the Labour Party had settled for an eighty seat majority and a more left wing manifesto, they would still probably be in government after all these years. Uh, sprawling across uh, the centre, and the SNP would be nowhere. As to the claim that um, that the uh, anti-Semitism allegations were just a confection to uh, discredit uh, Corbyn, well, if they were, it was it was something they left themselves very open to with the, the company he keeps. Uh, and uh, for a Labour leader to not be conscious of the, um, the the problem that Marx represents in the Labour movement. Um, John McDonnell, I think, certainly describes himself as a Marxist. Didn't he produce a copy of... It might have been... It wasn't Mao's Little Red Book, was it? It wasn't Gaddafi's Green Book. It was... What was it that McDonnell was pictured with? Um, and it caused a kerfuffle. But he, McDonnell was certainly a, a man, I think, of the, of the extreme left. And uh, Marx himself represents a, a 19th century anti-Semitism that hasn't been critiqued in the way that the cancel culture has went after every single other person, including most obviously Churchill. But anti-Semitism, Daffy, Daffy beliefs about capital and money and financiers uh, and banking and all that sort of stuff and Rothschilds rushing back into Napoleonic Wars with information that others don't have and all this sort of stuff. It doesn't take long in the web to uncover this um, cretinous uh, anti-Semitism that still exists and has its, if not its roots, some of its roots in uh, in Marx's uh, Jewish question and all the kind of daft beliefs about uh, about Jewish folk that uh, come from that. There's a, a Arnold Brown, a Jewish comic we've mentioned before. Arnold Brown had me in stitches um, at uh, the uh, the comedy event in the salt market salt market years ago. Uh, when he uh, he said, "I well remember the day at school uh, when a boy told me that all Jewish people were rich." I rushed home and told my mother. We searched the house, but found nothing. Um, <laughs> so, so if if Corbyn didn't want to be accused of anti-Semitism, um, he should have been a damn sight more careful about uh, the company he kept uh, and uh, and the things that he says. And he wasn't. So if it if it was a confection, um, it was uh, pushing an open door. And once the allegation was made. As, as his last remarks that got him expelled indicated, uh, he didn't have any um, political nous, he didn't have any sensitivity to the environment that he was in. Um, a bit like, for example, Ken Livingston. Ken Livingston decided to uh, spoff on, on, on radio that uh, Marx was a Zionist, uh, that uh, Hitler was a Zionist uh, to the extent that he believed in a, in a, a separate state that, uh, that Jewish folk could go and live in and not live in, in Europe. And John Mann um, hectored him up the steps in the, in the BBC. Uh, I, I, I disliked enormously John Mann's behaviour uh, because uh, he was looking to the camera and I felt as if he was playing to the camera 
uh, and I thought it, it was inauthentic. I thought as if man was... Well, however stupid, uh, egregious and offensive Livingston's remarks were, that didn't mean that man's weren't instrumental and cringe-making and, uh, and lazy and uh, manipulative and self-seeking. So, so man's behaviour in, uh, in screaming at, uh, at Livingston... I, I, I would have liked it if man had lost his temper, but if he'd lost his temper, he'd have been saying something much more quiet, much, he'd have been much quieter uh, and much more vehement. Uh, but, the, but the posturing and the look into the camera to make sure the camera was getting him in shot convinced me that he was more concerned about being seen to be anti-anti-Semitic uh, than he was concerned with uh, giving a fellow Labour member a hard time for something offensive. So, um, so Jeremy Corbyn, as I say, might have been the victim of uh, a deliberate attempt to take him out by people in the Labour Party who knew they could weaponise anti-Semitism. But uh, the reason why they knew they could weaponise it was precisely because he'd uh, spent 30 or 40 years putting himself in a position where it would be easy for them to weaponise it. Perhaps the way to understand um, the Labour Party right now uh, is to think back to the poll tax and why the poll tax was introduced. The poll tax involved giving a block grant to the local authorities of 80% of their budget um, and then forcing everybody in the area to pay an equal share of 20%. Now, as I've said before, that's a perfectly sane way of organising local authority finance, so long as you've genuinely estimated how much it costs and you genuinely give them the 80% so that they only have to raise the 20% by the poll tax. Um, and you also ensure rent reductions for people who have previously paid the rates in their rent. So you have to force a rent reduction on landlords to prevent them simply pocketing the money that they save when they don't have to pay the rates. But the poll tax is a perfectly sane way to organise local authority finance. And the reason why it was introduced was because the local authorities had become places where the people who right now are attacking Keir Starmer, the people right now who agree with Ken Loach, these people took over the local authorities um, and uh, people like um, David Blunkett, who later became Home Secretary, um, uh, the blind politician, um, the best ever, of course, David Blunkett story, which I'll repeat in case you haven't heard it, was Blunkett having an affair with the uh, the wife of the owner of Condé Nast magazine, I think, I um, can't remember her name, but uh, they come into the room, he can't see, obviously she can. And she screams, he says, oh, oh my God, what's happened? And she says, your bloody dog, gay dog, your bloody dog, Lucy, uh, has just eaten my handbag. And Blunkett says, well, thank God for that. I thought something serious had happened. I'll buy you a new one. And she said, it's a Balenciaga bag. And he said, so? And she said, it cost £11,000. And Blunkett screamed. <laughs> um, so, um, so basically, David Blunkett had been the head of, I think, Sheffield City Council, leader of Sheffield City Council. And they just had found a million and one ways to try and circumvent central government rules about how to raise money in the rates and how to spend it. And you got us in an absurd situation where the councils were doing things like, for example, um, selling and leasing back their... I don't know if Sheffield did this, but others did. Selling and leasing back their parking meters to scrap companies. So you sell all your parking meters for £100,000 at a 6% return uh, so you sell them all and then you have to pay £6,000 a year to keep your parking meters as rent. Uh, otherwise, they'll get lifted off the street and sold for scrap. So, I mean, think think of the absurdity of a council selling its parking meters uh, in a kind of debenture and then using the money to, uh, to, to just continue to overspend, knowing that the overspend can't continue, that you've not actually increased your long-run ability to, to raise a rate, to raise money coming in every year. All you've done is, is essentially sell the house that you're living in and put yourself in a position where you have to start paying uh, mortgage payments or a rent every every year. So the, the poll tax was brought in in order to try and sort out the behaviour of these, frankly, idiots that the Labour Party generates um, who are just prepared to be reckless and to pander to whoever um, currently is in a position to decide whether they're a candidate or not. So if you've got a whole lot of people join the Labour Party, and of course Kinnock threw them out, but if you've got a whole lot of people join the Labour Party, so-called entryists, um, people who don't have kids, who don't have responsibilities, who might not have jobs and can stay until 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night on a, a, uh, a Tuesday evening, and they'll join the Labour Party and they'll go along to the meetings 
and they will just basically outweigh everybody else. They'll keep the conversation going, they'll demand the debate continues until it's 11 o'clock at night and every other long-standing member has had to go and then we'll have a vote on candidate selection or a resolution or something else. Um, and these people um, came quite close to destroying the Labour Party and were famously confronted by uh, Kinnock at the conference um, talking about, uh, and uh, just I think Eric Heffer walked out, uh, I think, but uh, talking about a Labour Council, a Labour Council issuing redundancy notices to its own workers, scuttling around in taxis, you know, and <laughs> it took it took a kinnick uh, to do that because the Labour, the broad Labour movement is just full of people who are just straightforwardly aggressive, straightforwardly capable of violence, and so was Kinnick. Um, kinnick was prepared to hit people if he had to. And, uh, and the, the, the social dynamics, I used to work with a guy who was uh, a Labour guy uh, and part of the broad left. And he was talking about a march they had, I think, from the north of England down to uh, London. And they're just straightforward, violent fistfights breaking out in the march between the various left factions. Because that's the kind of calibre of people you're dealing with. That's the, you're dealing with people who haven't recognised that unless you can actually agree to never use violence, you can't have a discussion at all. You know, unless you unless you grant the state a monopoly of the right to use lawful violence, then what you're doing is using you know a tool that everybody can use. Um, so if, if one person can use violence, so can the other. Where does it end? Uh, as I probably said before, a key a key figure in Scotland's Labour movement, who I won't name because he's now dead. Um, I was faced, and so were a lot of other people faced, with a very difficult person at uh, work who was causing a lot of trouble, and. Uh, this key figure in the Labour movement um, said to another uh, trade unionist, couldn't we just get somebody to stiffen her? In other words, beat her up. Um, and that's the kind of folk you're sometimes dealing with. So the, the Labour Party um, it has got a major problem in that it attracts people who are uh, reckless, desperate and, uh, and capable of all sorts, uh, including making malicious allegations, threatening folk, um, and uh, and all and all kinds of other attempts at straightforward coercion, and that in a sense is the flip side of what I said earlier on about some of the advantages that Labour have got, in that it attracts people who believe in things. It attracts people who believe in things, but it, it, that that has that has a good and a bad side. It attracts people who believe in things so strongly that are prepared to do things that other uh, folk from with more to lose in other parties wouldn't do, um, and. Uh, as I say, the um, the poll tax was a, an attempt to reclaim local authorities from the people, the type of people who right now are trying to reclaim the Labour Party from from Starmer, um, and it's um, I'm not I'm not saying everybody on the Ken Lodge radical left is um, is capable of uh, of straightforward criminal behaviour, but um, there are people on the on the radical left. Who end up getting watched by MI5 and uh, the the police, uh, precisely because they're. Uh, I mean, it, it, look at look at Scotland without, without naming names. Look at the look at the the radical left party that did well in two thousand and three, and then subsequently tore itself to pieces with allegations being made uh, all over the place. In fact, now that I've just said that, and now that I've just said that out loud, I just remembered. Wasn't it last week at that event with Leslie Reddick when Colin Fox? Um, said to Boris Johnson, to, to, to mockingly said in front of a crowd uh, to Boris Johnson, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Uh, and that, frankly, is exactly what you'd expect um, at a left meeting. Um, and it's exactly what uh, the crowd cheered to the rafters. It's exactly the kind of attitude that motivates an Angela Rayner to uh, yell and shout about scum at a meeting. Because there's an element in the Labour Party that um, just isn't like anything you'll find in the Liberal Democrats or the Tories. Um, the uh, the Labour movement um, has has all. My, my great grandfather was, as I, as I probably said before, was one of the uh, I think the only worker, the only railway worker in air to go to work um, during the uh, the general strike because he had about nine kids and he just couldn't afford to be in strike, so he went to work during the general strike. And the reason why that was possible for him was because he was so well regarded, he was such a big figure in the sort of Protestant churches uh, that people tolerated it. Uh, but he would have been straightforwardly at risk for doing that kind of thing in most circumstances. Um, you know, the, the, fact that, the fact that he was able to do that um, spoke volumes about the position that he held in the community. But not everybody would be able to do that, which was exactly why the rest of them were all on strike.
from my centre-right perspective, the problem um, of the Labour Party is the problem of uh, me at 14 and uh, <clears throat> and blood-red roses. Um, Cecil, the English teacher, took the class, the higher class, or the, 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 sort of the, good, the kids who were good at English. We went to a theatre trip, the Citizens Theatre, the great uh, left-wing uh, agitprop producing Citizens Theatre with the 784 company. We went to this production of Blood Red Roses, a left-wing play, and uh, and Cecil um, was thrilled to dominate proceedings with his mad clapping in the middle of the most radical speeches. I won't get into the details, but it was uh, it was it was, a, it was an interesting evening, and uh, the play was very left-wing and very simplistic. Uh, it was like a it was like a dramatic version of a kind of Soviet realism painting. Um, if, if one of the actors didn't have a middle name, uh, Stakhanov, uh, he should have had. It was that kind of play. Now, even at the age of 14, I could see that this kind of broth of sentiment wasn't actually uh, an insight into how economies work. And the problem with Ken Loach and people like him is that they think that uh, this kind of passion is an actual fact insight. Now, admittedly, um, they, they recognise the importance of having enough garnish on top of it. So the reason why Loach mentions academics in his final paragraph uh, who support the labour movement is because they recognise you need people um, of, of a calibre to say pro-labour things. Uh, the, re the reason why Yanis Varoufakis is such a darling, darling of the left is precisely because he says things about um, the uh, German government and the EU that uh, suit people who think that uh, the Greeks could overspend horrifically um, from, you know, mid-2005 through to the crisis um, and, and that not have any negative consequences and that indeed the way to get out of that is to, to grow your way out of, the, out of the, the, the crisis, that you should continue overpaying public sector workers. Take public sector workers who've got economic output of Romanians and Bulgarians and keep paying them four times um, what you need to pay them to get them to do their job so that they can continue having their nails done and can continue drinking cups of coffee uh, for four euros so that the economy doesn't suffer a contraction. And Varoufakis says things like that, um, and as much love because of it. Stephanie Kilton and others um, say things about MMT and provide the, the, the sprigs of, of uh, academic luster that the, uh, the labour movement needs. But in, in their bones, people like Ken Loach don't really feel that, uh, that you need these things. And you can tell that because they, uh, they started the labour movement um, and aren't masters long before these things were there and still aren't masters of the arguments about anything. If you ask people on the Labour left to explain exactly how MMT works and uh, and what the, uh, the the theory implies for interest rates, bond yields and taxation, they've no idea. Even, even at the most basic level, they don't understand. If you, if you ask people exactly um, what the Keynesian multiplier is, um, and what you'd have to assume about uh, the, the residual capacity in the economy, uh, labour and capital, in order to make that kind of so-called counter-cyclical spending wise. Uh, if you ask them that, they've never thought about it. And the reason why they don't think about it is because fundamentally um, they share uh, a lot of beliefs with the, the boot boys and the, and the thugs. The people are throwing punches on the march from the north of England to uh, London. Uh, they they're just basically of the same beliefs as the people who um, are uh, attending conference and avoiding getting arrested. It's just that the, the people attending conference have got better um, inhibition. They're more inhibited. They're better able to control themselves. Um, if you're if you're Angela Rayner and you've got complete and utter contempt for uh, for Tory politicians, um, you can refer to them as scum with a couple of drinks inside you, and the membership will cheat to the rafters. And all you have to do to create um, uh, the boys um, on, on the black stuff, whatever it was called, that, that um, play in the 1980s uh, on television, all you have to do to create yours or Hughes from the, uh, from the geography teachers uh, who are attending Labour Conference is to uh, inflict six years unemployment and take away the university degree. Um, that, that, that same uh, ready condemnation, that same rush to judgment, that same passionate denunciation, that same contempt. I knocked on the door of an environmental activist when I was campaigning in 2021 uh, and the guy uh, lost his temper, became animated and slammed the door. And he was in a nice house and he was obviously quite well educated. 
in a less nice house with less to lose and less of an education, that same guy would have attacked me. Um, and uh, as I say, that, that passionate denunciation that lies at the heart of a lot of, a lot of left-wing politics, um, the, the veneer of, of theory gets added later. If you want to see the best example of that, look at Marx's Economic and Philosophical Manuscripts, 1844. The, the Marxist diagnosis of society is pseudoscientific. It's all about the playing out of these fundamental forces and therefore all politics and culture and law is a reflex of the economic forces and therefore capitalists are not really to be blamed because the uh, the, the superstructure that's created by the, the, the fundamentals um, is, you know, th their worldview and the legal system that supports them is a, is a reflex of these economic facts that just are and have to be as they are and the future will come because of these uh, uh, tensions that exist, the fundamental contradictions will bust asunder. But the trouble was that that was, that was uh, thought to be scientific Marxism all the way through to, I think, was it the 60s or the 70s? Um, in, uh, I think, East Germany, wasn't it? They found the in a, in a loft Marx's early writings. And uh, these got published. And Marx's early writings, which are much more readable and uh, much more interesting, uh, are all about straightforward condemnation of these wicked people who don't recognise their obligations to the, uh, the least among us. What you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. So this Christian socialism that Marx uh, was effectively subscribing to before he recognised it was inconsistent with his scientific arguments, this was all hidden. And then the, the scientific stuff becomes front and centre and no one's, no one's to know he was ever anything else. That's exactly the relationship between uh, the Labour Party suit wearers and, uh, and sheer revulsion that they've not got what they would want uh, because they consider themselves to be so, so terribly important. And they consider, in my centre-right view, property laws to be optional. The, uh, the, the Keir Starmers of this world are rejected by the Ken Loaches of this world, but it's only the Keir Starmers that make them electable. Peace.